Hi, I'm George Strayton, screenwriter of Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess, and you're listening to Genretainment. Hello everyone, this is Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. This is Marks, and today we speak with the director and producer of the Finnish, Australian, German, independently produced and fan-backed film Iron Sky. Now, it's not every day someone makes a sci-fi comedy about an invasion from Nazis on the moon. Plus, we have on the show our featured guest music artist of the week, Corey, from the Vancouver band Sorry Buttons. Now, what you heard at the beginning of the show is a snippet from the theme song for our web series Reality on Demand, a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. Now, you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now, before we go to our featured interview with the filmmakers of Iron Sky, let's go to our interview with our featured music artist. I'm at your mercy and I hate being there I'm at your mercy and you don't even care I'm at your mercy, you got me beguiled I'm at your mercy and it's driving me wild This is Marks, and you're listening to Genretainment. We are talking to our featured music artist of the week. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background in music? Sure. I am Corey, and I'm the singer from Story Buttons. I guess from my background, it started... My dad always played music, and uh, and he always said, oh, Corey, you got to get into a band. you gotta, you got to play music. And, and I was never too into the idea because I was quite shy when I was growing up, mm-hmm. but... I took, started taking piano when I was 10, though I really didn't enjoy practicing. And then when I hit about 20, I stopped, I guess, at about 19. And when I hit about 20, I was like, oh, I want to start singing. And so I decided I should pick up the piano again and try and write some music. And then I started trying to get some people together and just play shows because I still found it quite nerve wracking. But actually, it was in an acting class. And my instructor said, you have to do the thing that frightens you the most in front of everybody. And I was like, oh, that's singing. So I sang and I was like, that's not that bad. And then I was like, I should start a band and start playing music. And, and so that's kind of how it all happened. Well, great. Yeah. And how would you describe your style of music? I'd, I like to call it quirky pop because it's kind of, it's, it's pop-y, but it's a little bit, a little bit different and, and like fun and yeah, I just call it quirky pop. And it's funny because the other day I have a backup singer who also plays flute. And we were just talking about it. And she's like, oh, you know, I never know really what, what to call the style of music. She's like, I, but I kind of call it quirky pop. I was like, I do too. So it's nice <laughs> that she was like thinking the same the same way that I was. Uh, what other music artists influence you? I really enjoy Fiona Apple. And I really enjoy Melody Gardot. And actually, one of the first ones that caught my interest was Nora Jones, because I I tend to sing a lot softer than, like, there's a lot of really wonderful singers who have these powerful voices, like Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, which I really love their stuff. But I I was just like, I can't sing like that. I'd love to, but I just don't have that voice. So then when I heard Nora Jones, I was like, oh, like, I can actually people listen and People enjoy that style of music. So, and also, there's another band called Hey Ocean from Vancouver, mm-hmm. and that was also an, like a turning point when I saw them because I had all these friends and bands, but it was more kind of sullen, more emo, I guess, music. And and I was like, ah, oh, it's nice, but I don't. It's not something I'm inspired to play. And then when I saw Hey Ocean, I was like, wow, it's great to see a band that plays this kind of upbeat, funky fun music and so I thought oh that that one really inspired me as well how long have you been doing performances oh I think a five coming up six years do you have any cds out I I do have a couple I have um, a cd from a previous like a few previous bands ago but that was under my name, Corey Darnell. And then I recently, about a year ago, recorded an EP for Story Buttons on my computer. And, and 
it was great learning, but it wasn't the exact sound I was going for. So I recently did two songs with Howard Redekop, who is a producer I've been wanting to work with for a few years. And finally we connected and and got together and recorded a couple of songs. So those are my those are more the, the direction that I'm I'm happy I'm going in. Now I'm always curious about the story behind a song. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Heartbeat? Tell us a little bit about Heartbeat and what inspired it. No mercy. Um, okay, um, Heartbeat was uh, people always give me a hard time for writing love songs, but it's but you have to write what you're inspired about. So I had just met somebody, and oh, I think it was we kind of we'd gone on a date, which was really lovely, and we. Really, I never really hang out with people a whole lot when I start seeing someone. It's usually very slow and kind of casual, but all of a sudden this one was really kind of all the time. We were just going out and doing things. But um, so I went home and I and I wrote and I was it was I think one in the morning or two in the morning. And I, I just sat at my computer and I wrote this song out in a couple hours and I put all the instruments with it. And that was the fastest I ever wrote a song. And then he was going to Hong Kong for work. And I sent it to him, and and uh, so I was just inspired by him, I guess. And and we're still together. He's lovely. So <laughs> okay. Now, yeah. what about what about No Mercy? I'm at your mercy, and I hate being there. I'm at your mercy, and you don't even care. You love to keep me. Tell us a little bit about No Mercy and what inspired that song. Yeah, No Mercy. I wrote that one several years ago. Oh, yes. It was when I was working on my very first EP for Corey Darnell. Um, and the producer I was working with, he wasn't he wasn't wonderful. And he wasn't giving me my music. And and I, I was just like, well, I'm at your mercy. Like, I, I that's my music. I've paid for it. But he wasn't giving it to me. Yeah. So that was the main inspiration. And then over time, over the over the time that I kind of would sing it and build it and then finally recorded it with Howard, I it did evolve into a, a love song or like a not love song, kind of directing it somebody who maybe you were at their mercy in a relationship. But originally it started out, I was at this guy's mercy. And so I've never worked with him since, but I mean, he's a nice guy. <laughs> yeah, that would be very frustrating as an artist if you... Because you put your heart out in your work, and then if you can't, you lose control of it. So you lose control, and and even in the end, he kept all my. He still has all my. I finally did get a a, a CD, but he still has all the original recordings. So and I, but that's okay. Onwards and upwards. <laughs> well, all right. Well, uh, really enjoy your music. Uh, where can our listeners find you? Do you have a presence online? I do. It's um actually sorrybuttons.com. So s o R-R-Y-B-U-T-T-O-N-S.com or else I have the Bandcamp and MySpace, Facebook, YouTube, um, and Twitter. I have it all. I don't know if the answer is no. I know if the answer is no. I rather know if the answer is no. I rather know now.
my name is Crystal Lowe from Pineville New World, and you are listening to Genretainment. Well, thanks to Corey for agreeing to the interview. We wish her luck with her music and look forward to hearing new songs from her Vancouver band. Now let's get to our featured interview with the filmmakers of Iron Sky. You're listening to Jean Entertainment, and this is Marks and... And Julie, and we're here today to talk to some of the brilliant minds behind one of our favorite independent films to come out for a long time, Iron Sky. So if you two gentlemen would introduce yourselves and let us know um, what you did for this film. All right, my name is uh, Timo Vorasola. I'm a director living in Finland, and I uh, obviously directed <laughs> Iron Sky. Okay, and I'm Tero Kaukoma. I'm the producer of that film, Iron Sky, and... I live actually in Switzerland, but spend a lot of time in Finland. Okay, well, let's start from the beginning. How did this this uh, Finnish German Australian co-production about I love that combination about Nazis from the moon? How, how this all start? <laughs> the Nazis in the moon. Bit. <laughs> yeah, let's start with the Nazis on the moon. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a thing that you know, just me and a couple of guys from Finland. We were sitting in a sauna in Finland and. Uh, you know, thinking about what would be a, a good idea for a film. A friend of mine, Jarmo Puska, he had had this idea uh, already a little bit while, and, and he had been toying around with it. He said, okay, I have this idea that why don't we make a film about the Nazis from the dark side of the moon? And obviously we were like laughing about it, like sounds, yeah, sounds crazy, but what do you what do you actually mean about it? Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a fine idea, but there was no story really behind that until we actually started to Google about Nazis on the moon, and we found out that there's a lot of people out there who actually believe that there are Nazis on the moon. Oh, so really? Started to, oh, yeah, you can go and go go to Wikipedia and uh, and and put in their uh, you know Nazi UFOs and stuff like that, and you'll find uh, quite a lot of articles about it. But uh, we thought that let's take this idea, let's let's uh, cook it up a little bit. We we found a very good writer, Johanna Sinisalo, and with her we started to develop the story. And uh, and started started to insert stuff in there, and then once we had something in sort of something together, we approached Tero Kaukuma, uh, who 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 can actually take it from here. Yes, I mean Timo and and Samuli and the other one, those guys, they came with this crazy story. I think it was like <laughs> first page treatment written, and and I I read it. I I thought like, wow, this is the craziest thing I ever heard about, and and I also thought that actually this sounds, this feels like it's going to cost one hundred million dollars or something, <laughs> and I knew that we, we never will get that kind of money, but but nevertheless, let's try to do the film, and that's what we did. I've heard the term participatory cinema. With, with the method of how you, you marketed and, and raised funds for Iron Sky. I mean, a lot of times when we hear something like fan funding or investing, we normally think of Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but you guys did something different than that. Can, can you talk a little bit about that approach? Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, originally the, the origins of the whole crowdsourcing in our case was actually an earlier film called Star Trek, where we already crowdsourced a lot, a lot of the material from the internet. We had created this internet fan base, and we were creating a lot of people. You know, they were doing 3D models. They were doing bits and bits of the story. They were they 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 put them, themselves in small roles in the film. I mean, we asked them to join in small roles in the film and all that. So when we started to work on Iron Sky, we thought that we want to take this crowdsourcing experience. We want to take it with us to the Iron Sky world, and we want to expand it. And eventually, we also ended up in financing crowd uh, sort of crowd financing the whole thing. Tero actually was the person who uh, originally came up with this idea, and it's good to know that this was actually before any of the major crowdfunding things actually had happened. So, so we were sort of pioneering uh, in many many fields on that. So it was a little bit. Uh, it took a lot of time for us to make it actually work. Yeah, you have to remember that it, as you said, it's a Finnish, German, Australian co-production, and this. There's quite a lot of like so-called traditional funding in there, but but what we actually we, we faced quite a big problem to get the whole budget together, and 
that was the point when we developed this, the possibility to invest on the film, from that the fans can invest in it. And, and, uh, and it took off really, really good, and, and a lot of people came in, and we raised through that like $1 million, uh, but it was also affecting to, uh, to the traditional funders and investors, and, and uh, on top of this $1 million we got from the fans, it affected, we got another $2 million from from the traditional funders. So hmm. all in all, it was in the end of the day, sort of making this film happen, really. After we, we had been struggling to get the budget together quite a while. Now, the fact that you already had such a fan base on the Internet, did that help you? I mean, not obviously it helped you raise the money, but it, did it help you get a little bit more support behind the idea of making a comedy with Nazis? I mean, was that a hard sell for some people? Yeah, basically, uh, it's kind of, you could say, hard to sell, but also it, it was kind of a good package to sell because the pitch and the idea is so crazy that you immediately you raise the attention. And this is very important, sort of, to, to get the attention. And, and then, of course, there has been a lot of uh, disbelief or, or whatever, sort of, like, around the thing. And, and, and yes because there were so many people packing it and so many people doing it together with us. And, and, and once the surrounding world really started to understand that there really is a huge amount of fans and, and a huge community uh, around it, it, it really helped us a lot. To, fund, to make the, the budget together and then also once the film was completed and we put it out to, to, to market it and so forth, mm. that's been really, really helpful. And you mentioned Star Wreck. Yeah. Um, what was that? Those films about? Star Wreck was an interesting project, like which was initiated by Samuli Torsonen, who was that time like teenager or 16, 17 years old, old nerd uh, Star Trek fan who started to make uh, his own film, and he first made like a couple of minutes, you know, a piece of film which he released in the internet and started to get feedback from the people and, and made a little bit more and more. And, and then at some point he realized that actually he needs a director. And then he found Timo. And then they did together uh, this film like seven years, shooting it in the, uh, uh, I, I think, the kitchen of, of the mother of, of, of the producer. And, <laughs> and, and finally came out with a full-length feature film, like, uh, uh, which they released legally online, uh, legally free online, and, and uh, I think this was like 2006, oh, and wow. it has gained more than 10 million people to see it already. Oh, wow. oh that's fantastic. And good thing also, nice and, and interesting was also that, that it was also then commercially released on, on, on DVD, like in Scandinavia and UK, US and Japan and places like this. Yeah, I think it was quite a chaotic experience. I think uh, in the beginning we really don't, didn't know that much what we were doing, but we were always sort of very much striving towards it. We really wanted to make this film as good as we ever could with, with whatever tools we were able to have. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of people from the internet helping us out, so that was, that was an important part of the thing. But it was a seven years process, so it took a lot of our time and energy and uh, uh, willpower, so to say, and I don't think we really believed that it's going to become as popular as it became because it was really, we did our best, but we still thought that it's, you know, it's a Finnish language, very sort of a geeky uh, amateur movie that, that who, who, who wants to see that kind of film in the end? <laughs> but uh, apparently we, we didn't realize the power of that and, and eventually, uh, yeah, it became very, very popular. And that was sort of the first experience of me and, and our crew on, on how to make films, all the possible problems that it, it may we, we would encounter, and I think it also helped a lot when we started to work on Iron Sky that that we knew knew a little bit like <laughs> what are the possible problems out there, and of course uh, it honed honed our skills in, in creating visual effects, which which turned out to be really important because uh, Iron Sky is so very 
heavy on the visual effects side, and we had to have a very good connection with me and Samuel Torsson, who is the who is the visual effects artist. We had to have a very strong connection in order to be able to pull that out with, in the end, very small budget. Yeah, those are some very special, really impressive special effects. We were talking about that when we watched it. I mean, you had still a good budget, but you would have. You got more than double out of your budget for sure <laughs> with those special effects yeah. that you had. We were watching some of the uh, specials that you had on YouTube about making Iron Sky, and and when you were making mm-hmm. the street, I believe it's in Frankfurt that you had that looked like New York. You made it to look like New York, mm-hmm. and a lot of the extras that they were referencing, you know, Star Trek and Star Wreck, and and I think that I'm assuming then you have a huge fan base for that in Germany. Then so that really helped you get all those people to show up and help you as extras? Yeah, it was uh, a lot of people in, in Germany who were following the production, obviously, because of the subject matter, but also because we were we, we had a lot of uh, uh, German actors in there and, you know, we were shooting in Frankfurt. But in addition to that, it was actually pretty nice to see that a lot of people flew in from surrounding countries as well, from, I think, from Spain, from Finland, obviously, from, from you know, Switzerland, whatever. Uh, a lot of people flew in just to be part in this experience. And I think that's that's a very important part uh, of the whole whole crowdsourcing thing that from the audience perspective audience point of view this is an experience that they would not be able to achieve in any other way there is no other way to become you know be part of a film if if you work in in i don't know in it business or if you work in uh, work in uh, some, some some other business that is not film business so basically they came in with their own money because they wanted to have this experience they wanted to see how it works on the set and, and they really enjoyed a lot of that that day and you know we all had a good time and really good fun and they they were really really uh, uh passionate fans it's not like just some guys who pay off to play extras but these guys they gave everything and you know they they never whined they they were just they were completely perfect so in in, in many ways it was it was easily the perfect yeah, the energy seemed really great with mm-hmm. uh, everybody that was there. Yeah. They, so, and can you tell us a little bit about how just the process of making those street scenes look like you were in New York City? I mean, you did a. I mean, it looked like an American, busy American city. Yeah, that's, that's a, uh, the reason we picked one of the reasons we picked Frankfurt as the shooting location is that it's the only city in Europe which has high rise. Skyline. So it's the only city which has uh, skyscrapers, and there's only one street, and on that street you can you can see a couple of skyscrapers. And so we were basically able to shoot in two different directions on that street. And uh, what we did there obviously was that we needed yellow cabs because that's what New York is known for. So uh, we called every car collector in Germany and found out that there exist seven yellow cabs in, <gasps> New York, uh, in, in, in whole Germany. Oh my so goodness. We drove all of those, yeah. So we drove all of those seven yellow cabs from all over the, uh, Germany to Frankfurt, and then we put them sort of riding a circle around Frankfurt Street <laughs> to give an impression that, that there is a lot of you know yellow cab traffic. And, uh, and, and then we found some other collectors who had like some American cars and uh, American police cars and stuff like that. And then you know it's 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 a big big job of just changing the street signs and stuff like that. Then we went to New York with a very small crew, just me and a couple of other guys, to shoot some plate shots. So we were able to add some uh, a real uh, New York elements like uh, uh, Empire State Building here and and you know Chrysler Building there in the background to give an impression that we would be in New York. And and you know it's as long as you're able to keep it in that way, that kind of scene. It's it's really. You can fool people very easily. You open a scene, you you open a shot, you show that this, you say that there is New York, and then you show some New York landmarks, and then you mm-hmm. cut into whatever city. And as long as you've done your work perfectly, you're able to fool the people. But it it's and so so it was possible to do it, do it like that. And you know it was um, but it, it was a big big job to make it work. But in the end, I'm actually quite happy. I think it looks like. It could be in order. It does. It really does. Well, we've seen that before because Marks and I lived for a while up in Vancouver, British Columbia, and there would be these films mm-hmm. that that yeah, there's they say, oh, we're in New York, and then we're sitting in the theater, mm-hmm. and we're thinking, but we just walked over that bridge to get here. <laughs> That's obviously <laughs> yeah, in Vancouver. 
and, yeah, uh, that's the thing. That's that's the funniest thing, and that's that was the funniest thing when we were in and in Frank in the, in the film opening in Frankfurt, and a lot of people after the screening, you know, during the screening, they were laughing because they were seeing like. You know, this is not New York. This is I don't know Neumannster Strasse here or whatever Strasse there, and then you know, <laughs> having their own fun about that. But you know, it's just uh, just want to see yourself. <laughs> yeah, you pulled it off very well. <laughs> Thank you. When we watched it, we definitely got a feel of like it was um, had a little bit of influence from we love Doctor Strange Love, and especially at the end, yeah. I I just kept hearing the line, "There's no fighting in the war room," you know. <laughs> We just the humor was great because it, it really didn't spare anybody, but it it wasn't just throwaway humor. It was humor that was you were being humorous, but talking about some really serious issues, but in such yeah. a funny way that you enjoyed it. <laughs> Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about um, what it took to sort of get that that feel? Was that initially in the right yeah, you knew right away? Yeah, it's 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 a good thing good good thing that you asked because. Uh, part of the humor, I was a little bit unsure as we were shooting it because I, I I had a very clear idea on how I wanted to play, but I didn't really know because many of the, a big part of the political satire humor was very shot in in small bits and pieces, and and it was sort of hard to get the big picture in my head. So so I was very relieved when I saw, saw the first part of the film, and I realized that you know we were able to get that sort of satirical side to it without it being like. We didn't really make, want to make it a mocking humor. We wanted to make it a, a comedy that is, you know, it's not preaching, but it's still, it's making fun uh, of of things that are actually important things to be taught. And, and that's, I think that was the, one of the most important things when we started to uh, write the script of, is that we want to leave the story in people's heads. So when they walk into the theater or, or, you know, stop watching the film in home and whatever, that there is a thought that is left in the brain, sort of something that that is not just a, a, a science fiction action film, but there actually is a little bit more, which you can uh, you, you can adopt, or then you can decide not to adopt. But at least there is there is a way to carry a message with it. But I don't really actually know how we were able to get that sort of humor. But I think it has something to do with the Finnish uh, sense of humor, because sense of comedy. Because I think the Finnish sense of comedy is that there is nothing sacred. <laughs> in, in the world, there is nothing you can't make fun out of. Even you know, it's usually the worst. The more you make fun out of it, uh, obviously we didn't go to the worst possible places with Aska. We we sort of stayed on the sort of the lighter side of the thing. Although we did make fun of Nazis, but you know we didn't go into making fun out of the victims of the Nazis or anything. So that was kind of that. That's a different kind of thing. Yeah. But I think it it has something to do with the sense of, of there is nothing sacred and if you shouldn't make it make fun out of something then you probably should kind of idea. <laughs> it was very irreverent. I love the the image consultants and about how, you know, it's not about really saying anything important. It's just make it sound good and make it look good and people will cheer and and love it. And then yes. and knowing yeah. and knowing that, you know, it was such a finished production. I loved when she uh the president of the United States says, Is there anyone who doesn't have weapons on theirs? And Finland raises their <laughs> hand and everyone just goes, Oh, it figures. And it was so great because, you know, it's just that willingness to, hey, we're not poking fun at anybody. We're and we're all in this together and we're all or, making fun of everything. Or the North Korea. <laughs> the North Korea was very funny when everyone laughs and <laughs> And and it was it was so much fun. I mean, you know, as an American, you just kind of to know, oh, there are other people that are able to see the the silliness and the ridiculousness and the humor, but have the feeling that hey, we all feel the same way. We're all we all think yeah. the same things are ridiculous, and it really does translate well across the world, really. Yeah, it, it does indeed. It's, it's true. Now we were talking about the visual effects earlier. I'm curious, since I imagine. A lot of the moon scenes were... No, they went really to the moon, babe. Uh, They did. (laughs) The the, the moon scenes were, I I imagine, were mostly green screen, like in the station and such. How difficult was it directing actors in this virtual set? I think for me it is quite easy because I did my first film, Star Trek, which which was basically completely green screen. And and to me, I'm sort of quite used to it. I think it was more harder for, for some of the actors... It really depends on the actor who who uh, some of the actors are really 
if you're going with green screen, they don't, you know, care what's around. They're able to create the world, or they don't care what's happening around them. Some of the actors really want and need very specific explanations on what's what's happening, so that they're reacting the right way, and they're they need a lot of help to imagine the world around them. And and you know, some of the, maybe the older actors who haven't been used to green screen at all, they they're a little, little bit, you know, wondering like, what the hell is this? <laughs> it's 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 all about just figuring out and listening to the to the actors and, and listening how do they feel about green screen and how much information they need. For example, one of the actors, Uda Kier, who plays the old Thur for Wolfgang Kortsfleisch, I started to explain him what's what what's around these scenes and he said that he doesn't want to know. He he wants to imagine this whole space station to be his his living room because he's lived there all his life. There is nothing new or special to him anymore there. And I think it works pretty well that he's not Know, looking around and admiring things because he knows the whole place. Yeah. Uh, but then, then to some some actors, uh, they were very specific that you have to explain. And you know, there is a, you know, there is a spaceship over there, and there is a window over there, and there's this and this and this happening. But uh, it it depends a lot on the actor. But for me, it's quite easy because it's it's a lot of the things can be done in the post in the end. So uh, it's it's rather easy. Now you mentioned actors. I'm a little curious as to what your um, how did you go about casting this film? Because I mean that's a very international effort that you had there. So did you have some people in mind, or did you have open auditions in certain countries? I think I had a, a mind uh, Udo Kier. I had definitely in mind, yeah. and some other people. As soon as they were suggested to me, I realized that they would be very good for the roles. But but in the end, it was rather typical casting process in a way that we sent the script out to casting agents in, in Germany and, and later on in Australia because the Australia part came much later in the in the actually in the very last moments of the production it came through that we're gonna shoot in Australia and a big part of the cast came from Australia. So it was sort of a so so we were able to sort of half cast the film with Germany and then the other half we had to wait until until we got to Australia. But uh but in the way, it was rather uh, typical casting in that way. But uh, but you know there was a lot of problems trying to find because many of the scenes that take place in the United States are shot in Germany. So to find English-speaking actors, you know, fluent American English-speaking actors from Germany is actually a bigger problem that I sort of realized in the beginning. And many of the scenes that take place on the Nazi moon base which is basically a German-speaking area, are shot in Australia, where oh. you can find a lot of Americans, but you can't find almost any German-speaking actors. So it was <laughs> sort of stupid that we were flipping oh. that, but, you know, the studio was in Australia, so what can we do? But but that was a, that was a bit of a problem. You managed to do it because they all sounded fantastic. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, yeah, there's, a, there's a couple of places where we had to dub. There was a... <laughs> <laughs> one of the guys who had a very big Australian accent, and and, and we had to cover that. You know, that's not sort of but mostly I think we did pretty good. Yeah, because knowing how to speak a language and doing it in an accent that sounds like a native accent are two very different things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, they, they they are they are, and and usually many times when I speak with the uh, actors, uh, let's say non non American actors and uh, you know non-english speaking territory actors and they say that they speak fluently english it really doesn't mean that that, that they can pass as as an americans or or something because even you know even australians can sometimes pass as an americans because it's everybody has is so very well trained in listening to americans american uh, english that that you can spot little mistakes if somebody speaks bad german I wouldn't even notice that, but if somebody speaks bad English, I would realize it in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and and also you know English, English in England, English in in Australia, and English in America, we can have very different ways of saying things. <laughs> absolutely, and absolutely. and throughout That's, America, sometimes in, with the Americans, you go to a different region, and and someone says something, and what does that word mean? <laughs> What are you talking yeah. about? And that's definitely that. That's definitely uh, uh, and that's something that my ears are not trained for, and that's one of the problems when it comes to directing English English speaking actors is that I don't know if they if if those little details are right. I mean, I know in general if they if whatever they're saying saying is right, but sometimes it comes to a point like 
does this make sense or not? I don't know. I'm not, I don't speak. But it's even worse in German because I don't speak a word in German. And, and, and Iron Sky, that was like, okay. you know, 30% of the film was in German. Yeah. So I had to so I had to rely on other people who were like uh, listening for me. And they were like, yeah, that's right. No, no, that's not right. That's he's saying differently. So it's, a, <laughs> bit of a, it's a bit of a different. But I really enjoyed directing uh, in two languages. And I really enjoyed doing a, a science fiction film which has bravely two languages because most of the science fiction films only have English and I, re I think that uh, having European making a film in Europe the wealth is that you're able to add other languages as well in the in the pot and I think it's important that the um, that, that the Germans they speak real German not not just a sort of mock German or or you know German accent kind of thing mm -hmm. yeah well that let off some of the pressure I was going to I was deciding earlier whether to say guten tag, guten tag or grüß Gott, and uh, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> For hello. Some people feel very strongly, I think, from what I gather. But now, whenever you were directing, I guess, did you direct in a different language, depending on which country you were in? Or did you speak uh, with English no, or the I, common I language? We had a very strict only English rule on the set. Even if I was speaking to my cinematographer or my producer, Terro, and the cinematographer, Mika, who is also Finnish, even if I was speaking in private with them, still the language needed to be English because there was always somebody who is listening and and uh, somebody who is listening and getting like, okay, next they're going to ask me to do this. I'm going to start doing it before they ask me to do it kind of way. And that's so on the set, the language was always, always English. And that was a bit of a problem in the beginning because especially in Germany, everybody is used to speaking German on the set. And, and it was a bit of a cacophony when people were shouting in Finnish and in German and, and in a different English accents all over. And and then I had this great, great woman, Tarja, who was my sort of assistant. She was, uh, she was screaming all the time, like, English, English, everybody. And, you know, that silenced the whole set down and everybody started to mutter in, in English. And it was really, it was very effective. But that's the only way really to make it work. Is you do work. And Terro, and I think uh, on, on your side also the production language was and has been quite a lot English. No, it's, it's basically, it's, it's, it has to be English, like you said, in, in, in all ways, because because it's all about getting the communication flowing so uh, you lose time if you start to talk with another language and then people don't understand then you have to start to translate and blah 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 it's just better from the beginning use English everybody understands and everything goes more smoothly then and I think for Finns it's easy because fin Finland in Finland we don't I think one of the important things is that we don't we never dubbed our TV programs or our movies so we're used to listen to English. So we basically everybody in Finland knows English mm -hmm. inside and out, mostly everywhere around Finland. Uh, but when you go to Germany, it's not the case at all. I mean, there's a lot of people who don't speak English at all. So it's it's more complicated there. But but for Finns, it's rather easy because we speak we speak rather good English. Yeah, that makes a difference. There's a character Washington in the show. I don't I don't want to uh, spoil it. I guess if someone hasn't watched it yet. But yeah, but if it, you haven't watched it, watch it. <laughs> but it, but he goes through some makeup. There effects. is some serious makeup work going on here now. Could you explain a little bit about how how because that was that was fantastic. Yeah. How long did it take too to do each day to uh, put it, make them up that way? Yeah, I mean, without giving away the actual thing, uh, for those who haven't seen seen Iron Sky, I, and I always remember this moment when when Chris Chris Kirby, who is the actor of of Washington, where he made went to the makeup and for the for the first time he was made he had this makeup made on. And he saw his face for the first time after the makeup. He was actually crying. Mm -hmm. He came out of the uh, out of the makeup bus and he was he was crying. And so it was really it was actually quite an effective also on him because he you know he had been sitting there on the makeup chair and then he saw his face and and that was and and I think he said something that he felt that part of him was sort of stripped away for the role and he was so I think that's that's a that's an interesting thing and. And although we obviously made fun out of the whole topic of of that, we still take it rather seriously. And I, I actually deliberately didn't want to make that specific part being uh, being as much a comedy as it is more like a horrific thing 
that a Nazi could do. And and also it re it, it leads into comedic situations. The actual reveal of this little turnover. I wanted to keep it rather serious. I wanted to make it make it a bit scary moment rather than just to, and and once you watch the film and sort of keep that in mind and you watch how the scene plays out, it actually plays out as a sort of iron square comedy, but the moment when the a thing is taken off from from him and people. Everybody sees what what they made out of him. I deliberately took out all the music and and sort of just left some some uh, clunking sounds in there and gave it a little bit of a, a moment to so that people are sort of maybe laughing at at, at it, but at the same time thinking, actually, what am I laughing at? This is actually quite a horrible thing to laugh. At. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the thing. But but altogether, it's it's a it's a comedy, and I think one of the most important things of that thing is really that that in the end, what counts is what kind of a person you are inside, no matter what kind of horrible things are made to you, and and how you are sort of taken from certain role and placed to another role. Uh, still, the the person that you are inside counts and makes makes the real difference. Mm-hmm. And as it is with Washington, I mean, no matter how horribly he is treated, he still is. He, you know, he doesn't give up. He's still willing to fight all the way to the end, all the way, you know, he he's willing to go all the way to the end, and, you know, it pays off in the end. But, yeah, his situation is rather dire. Yeah. Well, that, totally. That makeup thing took hours of work every day. Oh. Yeah. Also. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's, uh, it's actually Liz McGilligary who, who was also working working on uh, on Lord of the Rings, and I think, of, I'm not sure, but I think also on Hobbit, so she's really experienced uh, yeah. uh, makeup artist, and she was, uh, you know, she was creating the makeup for for a long time. And it's not it's not easy to find the it's it's much easier to make it so to say the other way around, but this to this way around it's much much more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed it, but I thought it was interesting that you know because he even says you've stripped me of my identity and who I am, and mm-hmm. and really when we watched it and they did reveal we we did sort of both of us we just kind of gasped and our our jaws were open yeah. and and. And we had been laughing, but all of a sudden our laughter was, uh, it was just sort of this awkward, it's like, I can't laugh, but it's so absurd. But it was horrifying that someone could could do that to somebody, you know. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, that was carried off very well. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tricky part to write also in there, but... uh... Uh, because I wanted to have the right tone, and you know, of course, the roots of that thing is, is are actually deeper in the whole Nazi ideology and the Nazi experiments that they did during the Second World War, yeah. when they actually believed that they would be able to Aryanize, so to say, some people, and uh, and they did they did some terrible experiments on that on that field. So yeah, it's it uh, unfortunately it also has quite a serious roots to it. Yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah, there have been some talk on the web about a possible pre-core sequel. Is that possibly true? Yeah, Pedro, maybe you want to say something about that. It's it's possibly true, definitely. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, we we are um, we are developing uh, the sequel, and and also we are developing a prequel. We are planning to do totally something else. It be in between. We don't even have a, a, a official schedule for this sequel thing, so it remains to be seen. Okay. Uh, I hope, like in the near, we we know the schedule more. We are sort of like we have good stuff there, and and we we love to expand and and do things around this whole uh, Aroska universe, and and we we feel that there's so many stories you can tell around or within this universe and and so definitely we are on the way i just don't know when it's coming sooner hopefully than than what we did iron sky because it took like six six and a half years to do yeah and i think i think we're very it it encourages us to see how well uh, the film has been received so so that's I think we had a lot of ideas already when we were writing first time in Sky that this is a sort of a bigger story than just one film. But of course, we didn't dare to dream that we were able to make a second part until we see how the first one goes. But now that we're sort of see, saw how it went, we're, we've started to gather the ideas. And I think that there's basically two in, important questions what, to ask is the first question to ask and the answer is, is how did the Nazis get to the moon? And what have they been doing there for the 73 years before Iron Sky film? And also the other question is, what happens after Iron Sky? Is there a future for mankind? 
and they what kind of future is that yeah. so yeah there's a lot of stories that we're yeah, i think either one of those would be really interesting yeah we're very interested to make those yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there a comic book tie-in? Yeah, there's a uh, there's a comic book called uh, Iron Sky. Uh, yeah, there's a Iron Sky comic book, and uh, it's a three-part comic book that it's coming out actually in print. On the first part is already out on the internet, which you can find the whole thing. The whole three parts are coming out in uh, in March 2013 from uh, American IDW Publishing House. Uh, it's it's written by Mikko Raudalahti and Jerry Kissel. What's the current news? What's the current status or situation of Iron Sky? Because I thought I saw somewhere about something about ten million dollars profit or something along those lines. The box office is is uh, 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 over ten million. I don't know exactly, uh, but it's over ten million, and and it's released now already quite in a few countries, but it's it's still coming out. Like actually. Uh, a couple of days ago, it was released in Hong Kong, and and there's still some countries which are coming out, and and in some in some countries it already came on DVD following the earlier theatrical release, and yeah, it's it's on a good way. So you're still releasing it in theaters in some parts of the world, then? Uh, yes, like Hong Kong, they started in theaters like uh, last Thursday. Wow. Two three days ago, yeah. And then, um, then it's coming out. Like in France, it's coming out. But the theatrical thing, it's probably going to be uh, kind of a limited release. And and then it's 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 more they're concentrating on DVD. I think next February. Hmm. But yes. But altogether, the film was uh, released in uh, I would say 40, 40, 50 countries theatrically, and I think it was, it was a big. Big hit in, in in a couple of countries like, uh, for example, in Germany, it was a very very successful and uh, and and uh, other European uh, European countries and actually Japan was actually quite good as well and all that. So so it's been doing doing rather fine. And in addition to that, uh, in addition to Ariska, we're also uh, cooking up uh, a new film called Gemma Harm, which is a science fiction action film, uh, which we're working together with American uh, producers uh, Arnold Rifkin and uh, Ross Ritchie. On Boom, Boom Studios, and uh, that's the next film that we'll be shooting, hopefully next year. Of course, some fingers knocking in the wood, but uh, that's a bit bigger than Iron Sky. And then, you know, we'll be jumping back on Iron Sky and probably developing Iron Sky, the, the prequels and sequels, as we're working on the other stuff. So it's 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 an ongoing process. You're going to be very busy. <laughs> that's good. Yes, very busy. Seems like yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sorry, what was the name of the movie that the other movie you're you're working on right now? Uh, it's called Jeremiah Harm. You can find if you if you want to Google Jeremiah Harm, you can find uh, uh, from YouTube uh, a little promo, four minute promo which we did for the film, which gives you a little bit of an idea what on what kind of film it's going to be. Okay, great. Sort of a science fiction western, western. Ooh, we like okay. those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Lots of people like those. <laughs> Now I thought I read. Yeah, I think I think so. I thought I read something about a movie called Killed Adolf Hitler. Is, is this the same one or different? Yeah, yeah. This is a different. And then there's yeah, I killed Adolf Hitler. That's that's another project that's also been going on for quite a while for us, and we're right now sort of putting things in place. We don't know exactly the schedule on that, but it's called I killed Adolf Hitler, and it's a story of two hitmen sent back in time to assassinate Adolf Hitler before he becomes the. The, the ruler of Germany, but of course they fail. Hitler manages to escape with a time machine to the future, and you know all had drugs loose. But uh, but that's a, that's another film that's that's we're working on, but we don't know too much about the schedule on that one yet, unless yeah. Terro can tell something else at this moment. No, it's 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 like uh, I mean we are putting like the efforts and and uh, my half for next year and and uh, sort of like developing and. You know, doing like production planning, building up the budget, and and some point starting casting for I Killed Adolf Hitler. So it's in a pipeline, but it's it's coming a bit later. Where can people find you? Yeah, find you on the internet. I think the easiest uh, to find us on the internet is uh, I would suggest always to go uh, to our Facebook page on Ironsky, uh, facebook.com/ironsky, or ironsky.net, where you can find basically all the stuff that we're working on and doing and all that. And uh, and of course, if you want to find out more about Jeremiah Harm, you have to go to www.jeremiahharm.com, which where you'll find the promo and you'll find a couple of other interesting little things over there. 
you know, that's the easiest way and way to find us. Of course, we're on Twitter as well and all that. So, you know, we are quite active. Tell my harm, tell my harm we, we, we started to, to collaborate with, with the people and, and our first thing, what we asked, we have been asking people are doing, uh, designing aliens for us, for that film. We need oh, wow. a lot of aliens. Oh. So, yeah. Well, we're interested already just hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So sci-fi western of aliens. Then. I like it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? Only thing I want to add is, is spread the word of Iron Sky. That's the most important thing. And go to jeremiaharm.com and design aliens. You can get those aliens alive on big screen. <laughs> enough, so. Enjoy the Christmas Good. and Happy New Year. Oh. It's Merry, yes, Merry Christmas. Happy New <laughs> Year. You. Hi, my name is David Peterson. I'm the creator of the Dothraki language for HBO's Game of Thrones and the alien language and culture consultant for Sci-Fi's Defiance, and you're listening to Genretainment. Special thanks to Timo and Taro for speaking with us. We look forward to more stories from the Iron Sky universe. Plus today, the demo version of Iron Sky Invasion became available. So after you watch the movie, if you want more Iron Sky, you can click on over to ironskyinvasion.com and check out the demo of the video game. And uh, that's what I'm going to do after this show's over. <laughs> now, Jean Entertainment is taking a week off for the holidays, but we'll be back. And there will be plenty of more shows on this channel for you to check out while we're gone, including a Sci-Fi Pulse Radio Christmas special with Julie, Ian, and I talking about our favorite Christmas-themed movie and television memories. And when we do come back... We will have tons of great guests, including actress Jen Page, who you may have seen in Gamers Darkness Rising, Journey Quest Season 2, uh, the web series Chop Saki Boom, and, and the newly premiered web series Geek Seekers. She'll be talking about acting in these great projects uh, filmed out in the Seattle area, plus telling us all about her newest film, Project London an independently produced film supported by fans and jam-packed with visual effects. We will also have Michael Flores on the show, creator of the popular weird western web series Western X, and Victor Solis, co-creator of the superhero comedy web series Generic Girl. And that's just us warming up. <laughs> Plus, we have a new show coming up in January on this very channel. We call it The Roundtable, where we have various hosts from the channel, like Julie, Ian, and I, joined by two or more guests where we discuss various topics and genre news. I think it's a really great new addition to the lineup, and we look forward to sharing it with you. So that's it for today's Genretainment. Join us right back here when we return from our break here at SciFiPulseRadio.com on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific. And, of course, you can listen to any of our past episodes by searching archives. Until next time.